Please be advised that the following science comedy podcast has not been subjected to peer review and should not be quoted professionally. Side effects from exposure to the non-peer-reviewed podcast may include spontaneous laughter at guest comments or unprovoked dinner table conversations. You have been warned. Hello and welcome to the non-peer-reviewed podcast. A very special Dungeons and Dragons themed episode of the non-peer-reviewed podcast this week. I'm your host and Dungeon Master, Benjamin Kiernan. Joining us on this episode, you know her as Dr. Joanna Howes. I know her as the halfling bard Meredith. It's Joe. Hello! Joining us as well, you know him as Ross Bouch. I know him as the human druid Harold. It's Ross. Hello! Or should I say, oh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> We know her as Kato Sullivan, but I know her as the elf wizard Potentia. It's Kate. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, I'm so looking forward to this. This is great. This is going to be good. <laughs> this is a very special uh, Dungeons and Dragons themed episode of the non-peer reviewed podcast to coincide with the launch of our new Dungeons and Dragons podcast, Dungeons and Doctorates. Woo-woo-woo. Yay! We'll be coming out this Thursday, the 20th of August. Yay! Woo! Yes. Ah, uh, so exciting. So exciting. So it's, it's going to be really interesting. It is following three adventurers traveling, well, not traveling, but yeah. journeying through the, the adventure of getting their postgraduate degrees, their PhDs at a fantasy university. It is Dungeons and Dragons meets science communication and academia oh it's been so much fun it's been a great time it's the nerdiest thing ever and i'm here for it it's great (laughs) i know that there are a lot of people who are excited about it on twitter (laughs) and facebook dn doctorates twitter and facebook and you should be able to find it on all of your podcasting apps so given that this is a unusual episode uh, I want to talk about some science and some Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, and the first thing I want to talk about specifically was inspired by something Kate tweeted out earlier. Ha, I know exactly what this is. This is good. <laughs> yes. So the so someone tweeted about how they never use the equation y equals mx plus c. Oh, you mean like in Dungeons and Dragons, damage is two. Like like every time oh, that we yeah. play D and D. I'm gonna roll two d six. And then and I'm going to add my modifiers. Modifier. Yeah. Mx, yeah. Y equals mx plus c. Hey, there you I go. Like, I couldn't. I couldn't laugh harder because I was sitting. So to pay, I, I did tweet this out, uh, and then I saw the response from Ben. I'm like, oh no, this is going to become a podcast thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it 100% did. Because um, I, I was just, I was like, I know that I use y equals mx plus c all the time for a wealth of different things, including, you know, how much money someone's going to pay me to do a contracting thing for them. <laughs> but just sitting there looking at it being like, that's how I roll damage for Dean. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> this is a weird moment in my life that makes me happy and feel very odd. Mm-hmm. See, I think this kind of gets to the point of, like, really to the heart of where maths teachers tend to miss a lot of opportunities to really talk about where we use stuff because what they're talking about here that particular tweet was um 
was, you know, getting rates out of linear graphs, right? Yeah, I think so. I, I can't remember what the, I'm literally looking up the original tweet because I yeah, was a while that, yeah. that question, it's, you know, you, to me, I look at that and I immediately think, oh, this is getting information out of a linear graph, you know, straight line graph, line of best mm. the intercept in the, but you're right. Like we use it so many other, you know, in so many other situations. Yep. Yeah. I think yeah. part of the problem these days as well is that a lot of math is, is hidden behind algorithms that we don't mm -hmm. see anymore. Yeah. yeah there's a button in Excel and it does it for you, right? So I want to talk yeah. about uh, some math briefly in Dungeons and Dragons and why sometimes the people who wrote these systems didn't, didn't think things all the way through. Uh, yeah. Are you going to talk about not 5e, Ben? <laughs> Are you going to talk about something other than 5e? I, I am, I am going to talk about something other than. Oh, no. I thought it way back. Explain what 5e is. 5e is fifth edition. So oh, in Dun that's what we, that's what, mo that, Joe, that is the type of D&D &D that we are playing. Uh, it's in ah, fact cool. the only type of D&D &D I've ever played. Yeah. Um, but this is the fifth edition, the fifth, effectively the fifth iteration of. Yeah, so there was originally um, Dungeons and Dragons. Then there was it Dun advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Right. Which is kind of second edition. Then there was third yeah. edition. Edition 3.5. There was 3.5. Then there was fourth edition. And now they're up to fifth edition. So this is kind of and like a too fast, too furious kind of situation. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that fourth edition doesn't get much, uh, like doesn't get talked about much and didn't really no. get a lot of play. In fact, they fourth edition is almost kind of what killed D&D. &D. And then mm. it was actually kind of an amazing, an amazing confluence of events where um, Stranger Things, Critical Role and 5e all kind of came out at the same time. Yeah. And all of a sudden, D and D is massive well, again. Yeah, and community, community did it as yes, well, which I think kicked it back into the into the common parlance. But um, it was it was interestingly talking with um, someone else yesterday about that very fact that they kind of it's like you either play third edition slash three point five or fifth edition. You don't like most people now don't play fourth edition, second mm. edition. Well, not second edition, yeah. advanced Dungeons and Dragons or or D and D. Um, that they sort of really are these from from three point five went to Pathfinder, which is kind of three point seven five. Like they took the best thing, <laughs> and then were like the best yeah. things D and D three point five, and the best things from D and D fourth edition, and they made their own company and they called it Pathfinder instead. Right. So this isn't so much a Fast and Furious situation. It's more of an Assassin's Creed kind of situation. Like yeah, whole... it's a hundred percent an Assassin's Creed situation. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And now we are out nerding ourselves. This I know. That's good. <laughs> I'm going to use Assassin's Creed to, to, to steer back towards a point I was going to make. Yeah. Okay, Sorry, cool. man. Okay. About, this will happen, this episode. Hiding in 3.5. Yeah. So yeah. Not the good. hiding works in 3.5. In 5th edition, you roll a stealth check and the other person rolls a perception check. In 3.5, there was a hide check and a spot check. Yeah. And the person hiding rolls a hide check. They roll a 20-sided a, a dice. They add some modifier. And that's the difficulty challenge that the person looking for them has to try and match. With also known as DC. <laughs> yes. Now, I'm going to briefly talk about size categories here. <laughs> the average uh, human person in Dungeons & Dragons is classified as medium, which is four to eight feet tall. 
And for every size category above medium, you double the height. So large is 8 to 16 feet, huge is 16 to 32, gargantuan is 32 to 64, colossal is 64 to 128 feet. And then once they hit colossal, they got tired of naming things. So it's colossal mm -hmm. plus is 120 <laughs> and so on and so forth. Now, I want to point out that geologists classifies a mountain as a landform that rises 1,000 feet up. Yes. Colossal plus, 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 plus is 1,024 feet. Right. Now, for every size category above medium, there's a negative four penalty for hiding because the bigger you are, the harder it is to hide. So at colossal plus, 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 a mountain has minus <laughs> 32 to hiding. A mountain is very bad at hiding. <laughs> but... In Dungeons and Dragons 3.5, yeah. people looking for things have a negative one penalty to see hidden things for every 10 feet away it is. So at 320 feet, less than 100 meters, <laughs> a mountain is considered a very good hider. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. it's, it's one of those things. Mountains don't exist until you get to within 10 feet of them, essentially. <laughs> 60 feet within 60 feet. Right. To be fair, a mountain, a mountain does not get to make a high check unless it is hiding no. behind something. So you would you would you would be able to see it. Okay. A mountain behind it's a blade of grass that is a certain distance away from you though does yes. become a mountain, a mountain behind a bush could be considered hidden. And if you if you double that distance, so you're two hundred meters away from this mountain, you have no chance of seeing this mountain now. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's legitimately one of my favorite. Like oh. this is almost this is almost as good as the what happens if I have a negative constitution modifier and I try and level up? Um, can I go down in my hit points? Um, because technically, at some point in D and D, and you Ben, you and Ross would know better than I do when that was. But you could, in theory, level up and be worse off in terms of hit points, which is no longer the case in five A. Yeah, so there used to be a, like a, a an amendment to that rule in earlier editions where you always mm. gain at least one hit point when you level up. Yes. Because when you level up, you get some hit points based on your character class. Like wizards get less than say a fighter. And then you add your constitution bonus to get extra health. But if you have low constitution, that's a negative. So a fighter with low constitution, which would be very strange. Yeah. Would, would get a bunch of health and then some minus. But a wizard might only get one. But for some reason, in 5th edition, they haven't fixed that. So if you have low constitution in 5th edition and you're a low, uh, low health... I thought you had to get plus 1 in 5th edition. Nope. I thought 5th edition you had to get plus 1. There, nope. might not be, there might not be any official sort of ruling on it, but... Yeah. I don't know about you guys, but I am furiously Googling for my character sheet. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, Joe, check. if you are if you are a, if you are a bard, your hit dice is a d8, um, which is the eight-sided dice, uh, and I'm fairly sure you have a constitution that is not negative because I doubt yeah. that any of us would have let you have a constitution that was negative. That is true. Yeah. Also, for those listening um, who haven't picked up on this already, I am the only one out of all of us who has never played Dungeons and Dragons before. Uh, actually, yeah. technically, technically speaking, that wasn't true when we started no, this project. No, it is very true. It is yeah. true now. But then in the meantime, 
You went away and you learned. I went away and leveled up. I'm sorry. (laughs) I went away and leveled up pretty hard in the course. Okay, so yeah. Whereas if you had negative constitution, you could in theory lose hit points in theory. (laughs) Okay. I want to talk about some science for a bit here. What? Oh, crazy. (laughs) Mountains, but actual science. Yeah. I want to talk about how Dungeons and Dragons has helped advance the scientific literature Mm -hmm. published in the journal biology letters a paper titled monsters of people 2 was written by alan kingston from the university of british columbia he was a psychologist Mm -hmm. who wanted to find out if people look at where people are looking because they are drawn to their eyes or because they're drawn to the center of their heads but it was hard to know the difference because most animals, humans included, have eyes more or less in their heads. <laughs> but not in Dungeons and Dragons. So the way the story goes is while explaining this, this problem he was having to his son, Julian Levy, age 12, said, Duh, Dad, not all creatures have eyes in their heads. And yep. threw his monster manual to show him some monsters. And the two designed a test of various images, 64 monsters in total, some with eyes in their heads, some not. And they showed test subject these pictures and tracked their eye movements. And if people looked at the eyes of their creatures, even if their eyes were elsewhere, like on the ends of tentacles, for example, then they have an answer. And the results show that people look for eyes no matter where they're located. Hmm. Oh, cool. Is that like that? That sounds like some ignoble prize candidate type stuff. Oh, totally. But I love that. But it, yeah, I'm. I'm not gonna lie. I was super duper confused about the whole eyes in their heads thing. I was like, well, where else are they? But yeah, that makes sense. Like snails have eyes on their their yeah. certain, like tentacles and things. Yeah. It also links into the explanation of why people see faces in literally everything because we look for eyes. Mm, like I've just looked down. Yeah, well, I've just looked down at my, at the Nintendo Switch logo next to me, and I'm like, this looks like it has eyes. It doesn't have eyes. They are buttons. They are giant big black buttons that my thumb goes on. Well, when people first Fine. saw the uh, Nintendo Switch controllers, they were yeah. like, it's a puppy dog face. Hmm. Yep. I can see the it. Little joysticks are eyes. The handles are yep. like the ears. And they immediately yeah. started drawing artwork of this like dopey looking dog. Yeah, because it's clearly that's what it is. In that um, that phenomenon, so finding faces in different things, has have yes. people studied like what it is that people look for? Like, do we know specifically that it is the eyes that we search for? Or is it just a face in general? So eyes are important um, because mm-hmm. they are they are in many cases reflective, so they're easy to spot. They're the windows to the soul, Ben. Well, it makes sense <laughs> that we evolved to spot things looking at us. Mm. Yeah. Yes. Like as a defense mechanism, being able to spot a predator in the bushes. Yeah. By seeing its eyes. That's a, you know, a good thing to evolve. So we, we were, we evolved to, to see when things are looking at us because that's a a threat potentially. Mm. Yeah. So that there's actually a name for the ability of humans to basically ascribe faces to things. uh, And it's called pareidolia. Oh, yeah. Um, and it, it's actually, it's funny because it, it's one of those things that comes up a lot when you're looking at things like ghost stories or 
um, mm. a myriad of other things, right? Like pareidolia is a, is a very powerful effect. Yeah. Yeah, pictures of the Martian surface all the time. Yeah, I mean, and that was actually such a famous one because it, the, the interesting thing is in that particular image, and you can you can find this online, that when they went back to the, that exact spot uh, later, it turned out that the sun was in a different position and a slightly different camera mm-hmm. angle completely destroys the illusion because um, it was the shadows that were actually creating that effect. Um, yeah. And I... I I remember looking into this. I think there's actually a very particular part of the brain that's responsible for that as well. You know, there was a, there was a craze about five years ago to do functional MRI on everything. Yeah. So yeah. just have people sit in these machines and then have people look at certain things. And, yeah. um, you know, the, the, the science is a little questionable on exactly how useful that is, but it, it does seem to have at least some correl- you know, correlation type effects. I seem yeah. to remember at one point they, they could teach an AI to actually not completely accurately but at least in some detail figure out what people were trying to say just by looking at an fmri which -hmm. was very interesting Mm -hmm. um and yeah so it's a very like innate effect that humans have and seemingly obviously very important for survival um as ben said you know if if there is a like saber-toothed tiger hiding in the grass it's better to 80 percent of the time mistake a shape for that tiger then yeah. 1% of the time not realise that the tiger is there. Yeah, Definitely. exactly. I mean, it, it strikes me though, I'm just wondering, because I'm thinking about my own self here, but how often when you notice things like that, when you notice the face in something, is it that you notice the eyes first? Because I would say yeah. that I wouldn't necessarily notice something that quote-unquote has a face in it unless it clearly has eyes in it. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely, like, like- if it's just a curved shape. I also probably wouldn't notice it only had one. Like mm. it would need, usually those things are square on at you. There's two yeah. eyes and something that usually ascribes a mouth, not necessarily a nose, but that's mm. sort of like the last thing I would have thought I'd look for. But I don't notice something that just has a mouth. I only seem to notice things that have eyes yeah. and a mouth. I think that's why uh, in horror, um, seeing like a, a faceless humanoid is so off-putting. Like the Slenderman yeah. thing, right? Like the the, yeah. the, the sort of the features. Uh, it's that um, uncanny valley thing where the features yeah. are human enough, but, but not it's wrong. quite it's enough. Wrong. <laughs> mm. Yeah. So um, that actually reminds me of uh, the hist- the potential historical real like origin of the Cyclops, which oh. is an elephant skull. Oh, that's oh. dope. Mm. So that's if you look really at an elephant sense. skull, it is very similar to a human skull when it's placed in a certain way and where it's its trunk sits is this very large open space Mm. which looks like an eye a single large eye would fit there i'm googling that right now yeah so if you look that is cool no that makes sense yeah so you look at an image of an elephant skull and you can imagine how like the elephant feet as well could like you could interpret an elephant's entire skeleton standing on its back legs with it like huge um like rib cage like a big man's rib mm-hmm. cage that and weird. with only a few bones you could very easily convince someone at like you know in the past that oh this was a giant man mm. who is i'm just looking at it now it's super weird yeah you take away the tusks yeah totally yeah so like the the theory is that um a lot of the myths about man about um cyclopses were these like 
Europeans coming in contact with elephant skulls and having mm. no point of reference to what they were, mm. but being able to draw on their own myth and things. Ben, why do I feel like you're suddenly going to put a Cyclops in front of us in Dungeons and Doctrines <laughs> and we're going to end up having this conversation again? Yeah. <laughs> I had this conversation already, so maybe I won't. That means that it's kind of in your brain. Oh, well, the, same, God. the same thing about um, how like dinosaur skulls match mm. really closely to dragons and other like mythological creatures. It's it's humanity finding something, not knowing what it is, yeah. recalling a myth or a legend and going, oh, this matches. This must be the thing. This is like how if we ever really encounter encounter some form of quote unquote alien life it is unlikely to be anything like anything we've ever drawn because mm -hmm. we draw things based on things we know, not things we don't. Mm -hmm. um, you can't. So, so similar to things that we recognise that we're like, oh. That we wouldn't recognise it as weird. Yeah. It's yeah. It, it's one of those things where like the little green man is not actually that alien because you realise that it looks like a guy in a morph suit. You're like, oh, <laughs> kind of less creepy when yeah. I think about it now and i think that's right. the reason as well that like even though tv shows like say i I'll, i'm gonna bring up star trek here because it's it's yeah it's the it's the worst offender for this in that like all aliens are essentially just humans with ridges yeah. or weird ears yeah um, but but there's a reason for that right because if you were watching a tv show you would have a, a very hard time empathizing with something that um mm -hmm. that looked like a blob um i remember one of my favorite sci-fi book series um is written by peter f hamilton and the main bad guys the aliens of this series are essentially amorphous blobs um yeah. that and and the way they evolved in the storytelling makes a lot of sense. And it's the thing that would work very well in a book, but could not work if they tried to make that into, say, like a Netflix series or something. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. you just would not care about the conflict because these blobs are just too, mm -hmm. you know, we, we require certain features as humans to actually empathise with them. Definitely. And I mean, I think, you know, in, in terms of, unless, you know, unless you're Saru from Discovery. Yeah. yeah. I mean, um, like... Um, Ender's Game is a, a about humanity fighting against giant bugs, which the, of which there are many series of fighting giant bugs. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and Ender's Game, uh, spoilers, has has the ending of, oh, we were the aggressors and they were defending themselves and now we have to like empathize with these insects, like the last that survive. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because that, that's like a big deal in terms of like, the way the enemies are chosen. So if you actually look, one of the big differences, I think, between why the original Star Wars series um, has such an emotional impact compared to, let's just say, the prequels, is that in the... <laughs> because in, they were good? Sorry. Well, yes. well there, there's... Yeah, so, so without going in... Because, look, we all know that people <laughs> such as ourselves, nerds, could talk about that for a long time. But essentially, and I won't. But that's, I just needed to. Yes. I needed to stick the knife in, and then I was going to step away. Absolutely. From it. Sorry, Ross. But, but, um, but in, no. the, in the in the originals, the 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 bad guys are all uh, humans, even if they're humans in a in a sort of in armor. Um, you know, the bad guy is another human and the bad guys are these soldiers, which we know are kind of human underneath their armor. And yeah. then you, you look at sort of go go to the prequel series, which kind of leaned even more into the films being really for kids rather than sort of, you know, the, the, the people who probably the films were aimed at originally, which were the sort of teenage young adult, yeah. is that all of the enemies are either robots or insects. Yeah. And fundamentally, you just have a less emotional impact on these things getting killed because they're not human. Yeah. And yeah. 
that actually affects the quality of the story, though, because then all of a sudden the, the conflict doesn't mean anything. Yeah. Yeah. I want to briefly mention that the action was very good for kids because of like you're fighting robots and insects and things. But the prequels are so political in their, yeah. like, their backstory that's so mm. like such an adult story. Yeah. That it was like like it was like Lucas wanted to tell two different stories, his fun war action movie and yeah. his political conspiracy drama story. And he's like, Well, I'm yeah. just gonna do both of them. Yeah. I was just thinking while you were talking about those particular shows, was like my childhood it leans very heavily on British quote unquote science fiction in the form of uh, a man in a box Mm -hmm. um, flying Mm -hmm. around the universe. And it's amazing how much the old, like I love old school Doctor Who forever. I always will. And they were always a man in a rubber suit um, with one notable exception. And it's the one um, thing that you run into over and over again in Doctor Who that Mm. is arguably the scariest Mm. is the Daleks because they don't look human. Yeah. They don't move humanly. They don't, that you, you can't find this humanness in them. And the only thing I've come up with that is equally scary, just sitting here thinking about the other ones that we've come across since, is um, the Vashna Narada, which is the dark. Oh, yeah, mm, yeah. Mm. And that's scary because, like, you know, I'm just thinking like about where I'm sitting nature. right now and my room is getting darker and darker around me and yeah. I'm now like, yeah. Ugh. And I, I think the thing that both of those have in common is that... Um, not only do they not really have a human appearance, but their motives are completely alien too. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's very difficult for us to understand what the the dust wants. And yeah. at the same time, these these flying tin cans they they have completely <laughs> alien <laughs> motives and intentions. You know, they mm-hmm. don't feel emotions the same way that at least a lot of other races in those series they want territory or uh freedom or resources but the daleks don't want any of that they just want domination yeah and it's it's one of those those fascinating things where um it, it sort of ties back to that idea of things that do and don't have a face you mm. you not you lose any ability to understand where the perspective is coming from you just are fighting essentially the dark you're fighting this thing that you don't understand you can't understand and that has a whole other level of um terror and um fight or flight even just sitting you as a viewer or in i mean in our case i know and i don't know if and when ben will throw any of them in front of us but you know there are things that will freak us out as players because they aren't you you can't understand what they want because they're not you know as simple as another type of fantasy race that looks vaguely like us, mm-hmm. um, given we've all chosen human-ish, human-adjacent um, character types. Mm. I want to I want to briefly flip that though, and that humans are really good at empathizing with so many things, and we anthropomorphize objects. Yeah, like I have a Roomba here in my apartment. <laughs> What's your Roomba's name, Ben? Does it have a name? His name is Dusty. There it is. <laughs> yep, here we go. And like humans are a pack bonding species yeah. that they want to to form relationships with things. Yeah. And so because of that, like I think if you had a Dalek that while it looks, you know, terrifying because it, it has no relatable surfaces to it, if it acted nice or acted in some way where we could empathize with 
we would bond yeah, with like it. Yeah, if there was for some reason a comic relief Dalek, it'd be a fan favourite. I mean, arguably they tried that because they, spoilers, um, <laughs> spoilers, they uh, they <laughs> basically put a character inside one at one point mm. and so oh, yeah. you had the brain of a character you knew inside the body of a creature you didn't appreciate. Um, so that, you know, they sort of try, and even still, even knowing it was that character inside, you, well, everyone's just like, nah, 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 nah. It's doing all the empathetic things, but like, I kind of don't care that this thing's going to get destroyed because. Well, that was such a genius nope, nope, nope. move, wasn't it, in the show? Because, oh, so good. Because <laughs> uh, you had this like body horror moment where, you know, yes. for a long, for a long time, obviously like you could kind of see the reveal coming, but they never quite confirm it for you. And that gives this real sense of uneasiness. And then when they finally flip the camera and you, you really do see what, what they've done. It's, it's so Mm. horrifying. It's so horrifying. And yet you still don't feel sympathy for the thing you're looking at. No, it's it's really difficult. It's really difficult, isn't it? Because you're sitting there going, but it's that person, but it's that character that I'm so fond of. And I'm deliberately not naming the character for anyone who mm, does. Mm. This is all like what? cognitive dissonance. This is, you have two thoughts in your brain conflicting at the same time. Well, dare I drag this back to, to D&D, but talking about cognitive dissonance, um, I was playing in my the other game that I am playing in. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Joe. <laughs> but I managed to upskill myself. Um, <laughs> and I had to deal with uh, death saving throws on... Sunday morning um, to the point of it being immensely stressful and high stress because I wasn't ready to give up my character and none of it, I knew none of the other characters were, but none of them were there to save me because I was in an alley by myself because we split the party and we're stupid. But <laughs> long story short, <laughs> D&D players, don't split the party and don't let your bard be by themselves. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> That's how bards get into the most trouble. Yeah, let's all just collectively ourselves. remember that. For yeah, it's not romancing like dragons. It's going for solo strolls. That's the... Joe, jo, don't walk off by yourself. <laughs> yeah, well, see, I've got the triple whammy here. I'm a bard, I'm a woman, a female character, and I'm tiny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah you're, you're a halfling. Yeah, you're, you're a hobbit. Like. Halfling. Um, but just I, don't uh, let me go anywhere by myself. Well, but the, 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 the thing that I had to sit there with was um, my DM sent me a message privately outside of the game so no one else knew about it, asking me if I wanted to make the final dice roll, the final saving throw, because oh. which meant that I, the player, knew that there was something that was either going to definitely kill me or definitely save me moments later. And I had to make the choice about whether I rolled a dice that could potentially permanently kill my character. Uh, for reference, Ben, uh, that's when I rolled the nat 20 and my brain just exploded. Uh, for those playing at home, that means my character got to stand up and not be dead anymore. But, Yay! Uh, and, you know, as opposed to just stabilising and remaining unconscious. Um, but it was absolutely that moment of like, but... How do I? I can't make this decision. Oh God! Uh, if I make this choice, then either I am alive or I am dead, and this is Schrodinger's dice roll. <laughs> I don't like it. In the first fifteen minutes of our game, and I, it was awful. It was absolutely awful. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that idea of like your brain just being like, I can't put these things together and make it make sense to me right now, because I, I, I do I roll the dice? Would I roll the dice? Yeah. 
<laughs> Am I ready to kill off my character? Apparently, I wanna I wanna lift this with some more uh, rules strangeness. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to tell you how to break the sound barrier using average people. Great. Cool. So the sound, the sound barrier, mm-hmm. Mark 1, yes. is something traveling at 345 meters per second. Yeah. Uh, Dungeons and Dragons uses dumb freedom units. Oh, no. So mm. 345 meters per second is 1,132 feet per second. There are, now, there are three important bits of information you need to know. Dash action. In Dungeons, and Dragons, <laughs> in Dungeons and Dragons, a turn in combat lasts six seconds. So everything that you do takes six seconds, and then oh, everyone else gets their turn, then you're going again six seconds. Now, the second thing, everyone in Dungeons & Dragons occupies a five-foot square, and you can interact with things adjacent to you. Yep. And the third thing is you can prepare an action to trigger when a condition occurs, such as passing an object to your left when someone passes you something from your right. Now, you may be cluing in <laughs> what's about to happen. Oh, to no! To break the sound barrier in Dragons, we will send an object along a line of people during, a, during one round of combat. To break the sound barrier, that object needs to travel 6,792 feet in that six seconds. If we have... Someone standing every five feet. We need 1,359 people who each ready an action to pass from one person to the next. On your turn in combat, you pass the first person something and it travels 6,792 feet, which is 2,070 meters in that six seconds, breaking the sound barrier as it reaches the last person. Hang on, hang on. Can I pose a hypothetical? You could actually do it with less people. Yes, if you if you were using say a ten foot pole, which you can pass oh, further because it's ten feet. Long, I was you thinking throwing number of stuff from person to person. Well, that would involve someone having to catch something as well, and I'm eliminating all possible risk of this failing. <laughs> I was more thinking if you threw it. Yeah, I suppose. Okay, fine, but still. <laughs> now, if you replace these people with uh, some kind of very very minorly intelligent construct type creature with like long noodly arms they can pass things and just not have to eat or sleep or breathe because they are effectively magical robots Mm -hmm. and you have a virtually instantaneous mail system that can break the sound barrier if you want it to okay this sounds like very much like something that you know is some sort of unauthorized laboratory use in the basement of feramustus university it needs Mm -hmm. to happen i'm just gonna assume that it's happening at all times. Unfortunately, you have to have a lot of square footage. Well, yeah. Maybe to, there's uh, like a government. We have a campus. Like, we have know, a exactly. campus with a with a. Oh, could it, could it, it happen? Hands around the campus. It could it happen, happen inside a brick, inside a bag of holding. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, uh, the way rules as written work, despite the fact that that person receives an object at the end of the line, that person at the end of the line receives an object traveling faster than the speed mm. of sound when they if they wanted to throw that object it would only go like 30 feet <laughs> because they would the rules as written it only uses their yeah. strength and uses nothing else yeah. there would be a hell of a kind so of go 60 they could dash as well, right? <laughs> like if you're getting past something that's going at the speed of sound you're potentially not gonna have hands anymore does inertia work in D&D? Therein lies the question. 
Are we breaking uh, the laws? The of physics? Yeah, because if inertia does work, then theoretically they could go further, right? If I if I am falling off a cliff and I teleport somewhere, do I continue <laughs> to keep that momentum when I arrive on the ground? The age old question, but solved by oh, I use magic, so it doesn't count. Um, okay, can I can I pose a hypothetical to the group that we were discussing in my other D and D campaign? Because mm-hmm. we're doing an entire Over. thing in space, right? Right? That's how, that's, mm-hmm. well, it, it will be as soon as we get off the goddamn planet. But we, we, we're doing something in space. And um, my character, I'm currently picking spells for, and she currently has Thunderwave. Now, Thunderwave is a spell that she can cast that causes a 15 foot cube of percussive energy. So it's, right. it's, it's sound, but it's a force based yeah. thing. It's a shockwave, yeah. Right. If she was to do it, in space, in the vacuum, right. in, a va- in the vacuum of space, uh-huh. would it work? Hmm. Because there's nothing. There's nothing for the shockwave like to go through. Yeah, my instinct so, is saying no. No, like we we are debating it at the moment as to whether, like, if she was in contact with someone, then yes. Yeah. But if she was not in physical contact with them, then no. But how far does it have to be between molecules in order for that to work? Or not work, and it was—it's become like a discussion at this point. I, as a as a DM, I would either say it's magic, so it just works, or you would if it, if you're going to have, if you go down this route, this is a this is if you pull this lever, that trolley can't be stopped because you then have to start applying like environmental effects to every spell you encounter. Yeah. Fire underwater, um, let's say half damage, maybe and half distance. What's that? I'm using lightning into water. That's going to spread out and hit a bunch of people. Yeah. Well, I'm going to use this acid into water. is very confusing. I use water into acid. Does it dilute? It, it's one of those fascinating things where you're like, okay, cool. So does D&D actually obey the laws of physics in a fantasy world and to what extent? <laughs> um, it really comes down to the person running it and and their yeah. discretion. I think I think uh, the DM and I have kind of come to the, the the moment of saying no, it doesn't work, but it it does therefore mean that I'm going to have to change what I take as a spell for my next levels mm. because I kind of don't want a whole bunch of stuff that's not going to work in space. So I want to <laughs> talk about sound in space because you've just inspired me, Kate. You're uh, welcome. <laughs> there. So if you in a spacesuit, not touching anything, all you would hear is your own body your heartbeat, the blood pumping through your body, your breath, and whatever sounds are in the spacesuit, maybe the air conditioner, whatever else. But the second you lay hands on something, you can now hear what's yep. in that thing because it vibrates through your hands into your suit. Now, the reason I want to talk about this is there's a game that's just come out or is in beta at the moment called Shipbreaker, where you're like a someone who pulls apart ships as a job. Mm-hmm. And part of that is a mechanic where you put your hand on like the hull of the ship to listen if the engine's still running or like if there's liquid moving through pipes because you can't hear it otherwise because you're in space. Yeah. And like so so we we think about sound in in the atmosphere as these vibrations traveling through the air, but sound can travel through any medium. Yeah. Mm. Why it works in like it travels further in water. Yes. And we hear it differently because we're used to hearing it in air. Here's a fun here's a fun factoid I know. If I push on the edge of my table, when does the other edge of my table move? Uh, what's what's your table made of, Ben? 
because I would argue that the crystalline structure of your table makes that dependent. Yes. Sorry, nanotechnology coming out to play here for a so second. The, the speed of like pushing is that ripple yeah. travels through the table and then moves to the other end at the speed of sound of that object. Yes. That's why I'm asking what your table is made of. Yeah. It's like a composite wood. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, with steel, you could push one end of the table and know how fast the other end of the table would react to you. Right. It's like um, back in the, uh, like when, when you have um, explosions happening and, you know, you, 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 you do the, the oldie fashion thing where you do the plunger and it sets the explosion off. You can actually feel the vibration from the explosion in the wire before the sound of the explosion reaches your ears because yes. mm. the air does not carry mm. the vibrations as quickly as that shockwave through the, the, the metal cable. Yeah. Well, it's also not just um, like compressive shockwave, it's uh, translational shock as well. So like if you could have, if you have a piece of rope and you wiggle one end, you can see that wave travel along the rope. Yes. And it travels the length of that rope, the speed of sound in that rope. If I have a piece of steel and I'm going to use a piece of steel, the length of the solar system. <laughs> and and mm -hmm. somehow I can wiggle this, this steel. You would see those same wave patterns ripple along this piece of steel out into space. Yes. And with enough strength, you could crack that beam of steel like a whip yep. because of how long it would take for the ripple to travel down to the end. Yep. Yep. Pretty much. Like, that's... It's, yeah. And it's the idea of cracking a beam of space steel... Whip. <laughs> Excite you? I don't think we can be friends. <laughs> uh, listeners, don't worry. You can you can still be friends with uh, me, even if you're not friends with Ben. It's fine. Oh. <laughs> I don't mind because <laughs> <laughs> it excites us. It may not excite all of you, but it decidedly excites all of us. I just want my um, goddamn space elevator. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, please. <sighs> you're waiting on the great glass elevator. Hey, look. I mean, once they work out how to make carbon nanotubes not snap in the middle, everything will be fine. But <laughs> As yeah, someone who's done some research into that, and uh, good shearing forces, we love them so much. Um, can I can I stick on this this steam train? Much as I know, I'm sure you've got other things uh, to talk about, Ben. <laughs> um, what about things like? Because for those who've played D and D before, you do dexterity checks to get out of the way of things. How fast are some people moving to get out of the way of some things, Ben? <laughs> because uh, Some things travel an awfully long distance in six seconds, and you have an awfully short amount of time to get a rather large distance outside of them. Yeah, so some of those <laughs> uh, save checks to avoid damage, like, oh, you get caught in a fireball as it explodes. Yeah. Um, and you make a, a dexterity save for half damage. That's basically you just, like, ducking for cover, or sometimes rogues can ignore it because they're rogues. <laughs> or things can ignore it because they're hiding and you're like um uncanny let's... dodge mm, love uncanny dodge take a quarter damage why don't you jerk like <laughs> <laughs> you're getting really emotional about that just too many things that have dodged my attacks <laughs> in a way that is unfair and unreasonable who hurt you kate my dm <laughs> rogues <laughs> my dm's npc or not npc uh, monster that had uncanny dodge. I was not happy. It's fine. Oh. Everything's fine. It's fine. We've talked a lot about Dungeons & Dragons, a lot about uh, science-adjacent things. 
some science things. Lots of um, science things, just yeah. in a sideways way. Yeah. Um, we should probably briefly chat about our characters. Yeah. To give, to give people some more incentive to make the transition from non-peer-reviewed fans to Dungeons & Doctorates fans. Do um, it. <laughs> join us. <laughs> Do it. And I, I will. I, I should say before we even start, so like, um, you know, if, if the idea of listening to other people um, playing Dungeons & Dragons doesn't sound, uh, you know, doesn't sound interesting to you or you don't you don't know why someone would want to do that um it's 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 kind of like one of the most honest kind of ways of hearing a story be told because people are making instead of making scripted decisions you know you're making actual decisions that you you really feel like in the moment that you would make um i mean to to give it some perspective uh the latest episode of Critical Role, which is a, a show that does this, has a million views on YouTube, um, and I believe gets up to around uh, sixty thousand live views, maybe more on Twitch. Like they, people yeah. will watch it live, even though watching live actually doesn't change anything because no. the, they don't they don't interact with the audience live. I mean, it, and there are countless more of these things and. Um, it, it really is a very engaging way to to listen to what is a collaborative fiction, essentially. Yeah. yeah. And I think the, the important thing to say is that it is made up. We're not, like, none of us are, I won't say smart enough, but, like, none of <laughs> us are, have the time to commit to writing this madness no, that we are involved in. Not. Or except um, for Ben. Hello, I'm that. Person. Well, I mean, but even <laughs> I was, yeah. But even so, yeah. But even so, Ben doesn't write all of it because Ben sets us up, and then what we do, he also has to deal with reaction uh, sometimes. Given given that we've had a discussion, Ben, about what we were supposed to do in our first in our first oh, no. um, session mm -hmm. in terms so of some sorry. places we were supposed to go and then, like, we just flat didn't do oh, like, okay so i've been i've been a, a dm for a long time yeah i i once had an entire campaign about dwarven intrigue and traveling along this road and i have to barter and like get past all of these How did that go, ben? the group are like oh we've got this spell which lets us travel between the dimensions the planes uh and we can cast it once per day so we're going to travel somewhere really nice first for a day and then tomorrow <laughs> we travel to where we're going <laughs> yeah basically and that happens to take like an entire notebook i'm like well i i guess i can maybe use this some other time yep uh, yeah. although my, my world is persistent so those events don't matter anymore but the group did bypass a bunch of things and they didn't, let's just say, let's say that group did not help that Dwarven Civil War. They kind of just Aww. like went from one place to the next, dropped off the ambassador who, after spending some time in a plane where he may have gone a little crazy, has not been very helpful as an ambassador. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, that, that ambassador, his brain is now spiders. Right. That's not a... That's not a like a euphemism. That's, that's, not euphemism. that's not me being like colorful with words. His brain is now spiders. I feel like this is a very good example of what happens when good people sit back and do nothing. Yeah. Good people drag characters along to places they should never be. <laughs> Look, I mean, we've all, it's fine. We've all, we've, 
PC into being very important or not. <laughs> I have to be careful uh, with who I decide is important and who isn't in Dungeons and Dragons. Hey, 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 Ben, you, you put... At any point, you could kill any of these characters. There will be consequences for killing these characters. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's like... Story must go on. It's like rule one, Ben. Don't put uh, flimsy characters in front of me because I will find out all of the things about them. <laughs> because... Oh, yeah. I can. <laughs> walking to the tavern, we see this very mysterious person who you're obviously meant to talk to. Who else is there? Uh, there's the bartender. <laughs> yeah, the bartender. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna go hang out at the bar then. <laughs> talk to the bartender the whole time. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I did make my other DM invent a bar that I could go to to buy whiskey, and then spent a good three to five minutes talking to the bartender instead of going back to the fight I was supposed to be involved in. I have had entire game sessions <laughs> that have spiraled out of control because my players have decided to make decisions. And I just roll with it. It's, it's Literally fun. roll with it. Literally yeah. roll with it. And if Yay. this kind of unfocused shenanigans appeals to you, you may enjoy Dungeons & Doctorates. <laughs> Doctorates. <laughs> It is clever. Unfocused shenanigans sounds like such a like a, a catch-all description of PhD students. Basically. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny? Um, uh, all of the players, we, we're all actually kind of musical as well uh, in real life. Uh, well, yeah. I don't know if I count myself as musical. Um, but, I'm probably but, the least musical in the group, and somehow I'm composing things. Eh. But, um, yeah, you know. But we could uh, we could have a, a band called the uh, the unfocused shenanigans or something you know it could be fun. Um, I will make fake posters for that band for us to hang up in our <laughs> yes. fake world. Like, Let's do it. Yes. Earlier, Joe and I were discussing uh, parody names of bands for, for <gasps> yes, like bards that she listened to as a character growing up. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh my goodness! Like, my, can we my favorite one? Can, can not... I share my favorite one? Yeah, you yes. can. It's the most amazing thing. Okay, so it is the. Um, conspicuous absence of dragons. Nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> See, I feel like uh, we might just all eventually have to end up playing some form of instrument, like every all three of our characters, and we'll just have to create a band. Yeah. <laughs> it'll yeah. have we'll, to be called the Unfocused Shenanigans. Like. We'll, um, we'll create an IRL song, but, you know, from our character's uh, perspective. This just sounds like a character <laughs> sitting around That's in a doable. bar thinking, we should start a band. <laughs> Oh, no. This is when we go on Chris when when we have to go on Christmas break or something season break. <laughs> yeah. We have to enter a public competition have to a... free the barbarians in the barbarian society. <laughs> oh, oh my god! <gasps> What's our in... barbarian friend's name? I've completely forgotten. Gore. 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 Oh, I freaking love Gore. Gore is one of my favorite characters to play. Oh. I <laughs> love doing his voice. He's so great. Yes. Yep. He's great. He's the best. I mean, okay, so I I really enjoy Dungeons and Dragons because it is a collaborative storytelling thing. Mm. And sometimes some of the best moments are spontaneous. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah. So I won't I won't I won't give this away, but um Ben and I were discussing a moment in the first game that happened and it wasn't even um it wasn't even like an action sequence or anything. It was just a piece of conversation between two characters. Uh, and it was just so perfect. Yes. You know. I was going to say, it, it, it really does show, though, I think the amount of spontaneous conversation that we had in that first three episodes is insane, given that we really never played together before. 
Yes. And, and we don't even know each other that well. I mean, I know you guys had a bit more... Um, but not really. Contact, you know, in real life. But, yeah. uh, you know, obviously for me, uh, you know, for the two of you at least, of course, Ben and I lived together for a long enough time. But, yeah. um, you know, for the two of you, I, I don't know, we, we've only interacted online. And, um, yeah. Yes. It's, well, I, yeah. I, hadn't, I hadn't met Joe in person until earlier this year yeah. at the communication conference. Pretty much. I, I see, whereas I'd met, met Joe through Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. See, whereas I'd met Joe friends. in person. I'd met Joe in person in Canberra, but even so, not very much because no. you were on circus that year and I graduated circus. Mm-hmm. Um, the science then, circus, for those of you who yes, don't know. <laughs> the, the, the Shell Questacon Science Circus, the Woo-hoo! three-way partnership between Shell, the ANU, and Questacon, the National Science and Technology Centre. She well says, done. like, she's been media trained. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Um, it's muscle memory. <laughs> <laughs> it's so muscle memory it hurts um but and i knew ben through young scientists of australia way back when but we'd mm. only met once in person yeah i think it was like um, a international natcon yeah natcon yeah in brisbane i think and i stayed with flick who i'm still in touch with but um just one of those things where these are yeah. we are four people who don't know each other particularly well we are online friends and have never played together before we are real world friends but we are not we're people who, who mostly have interacted uh, realistically through this podcast. Yeah, it's been yeah. fun. But I think what D and D, what D and D provides is this uh, this this sense of commonality. You know, like we mm. we are all in this virtual world together, and yeah, you know, in, in our imaginations, of course. And um, I think that because it, I think you know, some people enjoy D and D for the gaming, and I, I I can be in that mood sometimes. Where I see it as a game, and I'm—it's all about tactics and mm. you know min-maxing. And then sometimes you're in it mm. because you want to completely lose yourself in a role. And yeah. I think what we're trying to do with this is to give you an idea of what it's like to uh, be a young scientist, but also yeah. have some fun and uh, build some real fake relationships. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I. I you know, I come. I don't come from a, a tabletop RPG or TTRPG background, but I come from an improv background, and this for me is like it's the best it's kind great. of improv ever. I get to yeah. come in knowing who, knowing who I am, which is rare in an improv setting. You're like, oh, I, I already know who this character is. Oh, this is nice. Um, and then everything can go up, down, sideways, backwards, into another dimension, whatever. And it's all down to what everyone else says, and what a tiny piece of acrylic in my hands does. Mm. Um, you know, whether I <clears throat> happen to roll a nat 20 or a nat 1 or anything in between, it's good. Yeah, it's I think I think this group in particular uh, is really good because it's, it shows that that wide range of, of skill with, with Dungeons & Dragons, that wide range of experience mm. with Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah. Um, and we, we all have science and science communication backgrounds so Mm -hmm. there are going to be times throughout the show where we kind of just break for a moment and then discuss how reflective eyes work (laughs) hey hey critically important and now i have to remember that that's a thing that my eyes do it's very important yeah i couldn't see that in action the other night actually so i went um I went spotlighting with a group from UW who was studying sugar gliders so i got to see sugar gliders in the wild they were incredible it basically spent the and you will have night. to tune into. I'm going to go with episode two to find <laughs> out about that. That feels right, if memory serves me correctly, about when that particular piece of something happened. Mm. Um, <laughs> that feels accurate. <laughs> we 
we do. We just, and the, we had these random conversations that are natural because we're all interested in science. Mm. Like they make sense for us as players. And we all, we all have experience uh, going to university as well, because there are many people out there in the world who have not been to university and in particular, yeah. not done any postgraduate. Yeah. It's a real weird situation that I found when I was doing it, it was very hard to explain to people. Mm. Yeah. 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 I, I think people have this. We've all done different amounts of that too. Yeah, yeah I, and I would wager that for anyone who hasn't done postgraduate like research work, what you mm. think it's like is completely uh, way too organized and <laughs> yeah. academic compared to <laughs> yeah. what is actually happening. Yeah. And interesting. Yeah. yeah. So, so like, yeah, <laughs> your when you when you met your supervisors in game. They're all so varied and different people, and their styles are different. I don't want to spoil things. But yeah, like, I really can't wait to hear. I'm what so your looking forward to Joe like, finding out about my supervisor. I'm so <laughs> looking forward to it. Again. <laughs> like, I was thinking about it yesterday. I'm like, I'm so excited for this to happen. <laughs> oh my goodness! Okay, we're, I can't. We wait recorded now. there to supervise a meeting separately. I'm gonna. Yeah, yeah. So I, we haven't yeah. heard it. Heard each other's yet, which is really cool. Actually. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And yeah, so there's so much in, in academia that people don't know. And it's, in many ways, it is that kind of like fantasy setting where people just don't know what it's like. And mm -hmm. to be fair, we are coming at it from like an Australian university yeah, perspective. Definitely. So it's really different to yeah. like an American or a British. Um, yeah. And for those of you who've studied it somewhere like ANU, there may be Easter eggs in there. It's pretty uh, great. Yeah. You know, differences even just within Australia, like postgraduate. Yeah in Sydney is going to be different to postgraduate in Melbourne, for example. Yeah, well, definitely. I was also going to say, so I've only ever done postgraduate study that is coursework based where the rest yeah. of you, that's not true. No. Um, and so I actually come up, I come at it from the least prepared in that sense, because I don't know what it's like. I mean, I've got a lot of friends who've been through it, but I can't honestly sit here and say that I've done a lot of research outside of a lit review. Mm. Um, Luckily, in as that well, kind of setting, this is a, a fantasy university, so any hey. any unusual nuances about the postgraduate studying uh, system is mm. just down to to literary quirks, and and it was meant to be like that the whole time. I totally. don't have a, a terrible Scottish accent. I have an excellent Dwarvish accent. Mm. Absolutely, yeah, totally. And your and your characters always have consistent accents, right, Ben? Yes. Yeah, totally, hundred yeah. percent. True fact: Ben never has to listen back to the previous episode to make sure that the accent is correct. Uh, it just rolls straight true, off the tongue. True, true fact: Ben doesn't start a sentence, have someone else say something, and then drop the accent completely ever. True fact: I I, I don't have a, a ever increasing library of of audio files to reference whenever I have to do a character voice. Like, what do they sound like again? Oh, right. <laughs> I, mean, I think that's a good thing to make point to make. Like we're we're not we're not a bunch of uh, uh, professional Los Angeles voice actors. We're no. we're just people who love science and we love role playing. And we're hoping that by combining those two, we can we yeah. can entertain we can entertain and educate all at the same time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I loathe them. I was like, speak for yourself, but um, <laughs> it, it's absolutely like. Sorry, I may have spent this morning doing some voice acting, so I'm like, um. Mm, mm -hmm. But but it's no like I, you know my I can guarantee that my accent in second episode is likely to be very different to my accent in first episode in part because I didn't have Joe's character and Ross's character around 
So mm. in my own head, I was like, this doesn't sound right, but I can't fix it because I can't pitch it against mm. these other people, which is a very odd thing to realise that you can't do. Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, my my characters, um, not not the accent so much, but the uh, my my character my characters sort of um, mannerisms. Yeah, like the the sort of the the tone and the the timbre of my character's accent changed, because yeah, yeah, once we got together and we our characters sort of came to life and and weren't just figments completely figments of our imagination, you know, I, I realized that my character needed to change a little bit, and obviously that affects the way they talk a bit, and um, yeah, there's a lot of things to consider when you're doing something like this. Mm. Yeah, I think all that's going to happen over time. Our characters will change, and probably some characters' accents will change over time, uh, <laughs> which might be a reflection of them changing as a character. Let's say that. That's totally. it. Sure. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> but that's I mean, safer. I mean we, we did kind of dive away from before, and I think we're probably at a point where we should probably dive back into who the characters are, because we kind of yeah. said right away and yeah. never yeah. came back right. in so, the way uh, that we do. <laughs> I am uh, the dungeon master, the game master. I am every non-player character that these these people interact with. I am the world, uh, mm-hmm. and, which means juggling a lot of things in my head, uh, rules and, and lore about the world. I have a lot written about this city and this university. Mm-hmm. Um, probably a lot of things are never going to reach the light of day. Uh, some things are just going to inform other things. I, I talk about this without spoiling things. Yeah. Some things will just inform other character things or other world things. And maybe at some point I'll go on a, a Twitter rampage and just like, and and they never had shoes because of something and then this prince in the past was killed by this thing and that's why this is i was going on a twitter rampage and just divulge all this information eventually i think we can promise that we we won't we won't in about five years time talk about the plumbing uh in the yeah. world yes not necessarily I mean, unless i absolutely have to find out because i've lost something down the plumbing in which case i'm going to need to know about the plumbing bit the university mm. has been working plumbing for a very long time and uh there has not been any any wizarding shenanigans mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> not yet anyway so uh we, we did actually go on a, off on a massive tangent so um ben you actually did want us to talk a little bit about our characters yeah. i think yes, right yes. So i'm dungeon master i i play everything in the game that is not these three people uh, which <laughs> why at some point you may hear me talking to myself as to M- please don't get NPC <laughs> that's the worst thing I have to jump between Ben why, why would you why would you why would you put that in I my know. beautiful, beautiful improv that. brain <laughs> you can yeah. have an entire episode where the NPCs talk to each other we'll gift it to you go for oh, it hooray so <laughs> Kate Nora can talk Nora can talk to the librarian it'll be great um my character is Potentia she's great I have way too much backstory about her in my hot little head um that no none of the rest of the players know about well Ben knows some of but not all of because I add details where necessary that he doesn't actually need um great she's she's great she's a high elf wizard um we had lots of conversations between Ben and I about the world she comes from um as opposed to the world she's in now because she has she doesn't isn't in the same place she grew up uh, in fact, quite far from where she grew up. Done, some um, done had a gap decade. Yeah, um, still my favorite thing we came up with. Still great. Gap decade. 
that decade, <laughs> I told someone about that and they were like, that is amazing and I hate you. And I was like, is correct. Is the correct response. Um, and yeah, she's a, she's a wizard. She's got, she's got quite an interesting background, um, I think is, is fair to say. Has and, a unique perspective on life. Yeah. And I think Ben and I, after we recorded the first episode, we actually had an interesting discussion about her reactions to certain people. Um, which are not necessarily what Ben expected them to be, um, but we've talked subsequently about why they are the way that they are, and I think that's going to be an interesting thing to play with for me going forward. Um, that, I think, is important. Like, these are characters that we are developing and mm. exploring mm. as we go. Um, mm. and if you have the idea of what a, what a high elf is, that's not necessarily what, what Kate's high elf is. Yeah, I think I... Um, and it's, again, it comes from that being a person who, you know, makes people up. That's part of one of the things I do for fun and sometimes for money um, is that you you get really good at finding the stereotype and being like, well, cool, we've seen that person before. How is this person different to that person? And um, I think, you know, if you if you look at high elves in literature and stuff, she's not that. No. Um, she still has opinions about, you know, certain types of people and certain um, loath OM to, to toss the word race in here, but in terms of D&D, races of people. But I don't know that they express themselves the way that the audience for the podcast will s- expect straight off the bat. Um, all of that will potentially be revealed in time, <laughs> potentially. Um, hey. <laughs> sorry. Wow. Get out. My brain went on a tangent. We're good. Um but it's, it's all one of those things where I think the phrase she is a riddle wrapped in an enigma has been used about her already. And I think that is quite a good uh, representation of who she is, at least at the moment. Um, mm. We shall see how that changes in time. Yeah, because we still uh, don't know very much about your character. No, and that's very deliberate. Um, yeah. And I have given Ben a whole lot of stuff yeah. because yeah. I so much I... backstory, it's great. Yeah, and I mean that's the kind of person that I am as a as a player. Is I just I build a backstory because it's fun for me because it yeah. means that I know who this person is and I know what they want to do and how they'll behave, but not so detailed that you know Ben can't add a whole bunch of stuff to it that he wants to. But I also like to play with what the other players will expect me to do, and I think Joe, there's there's an interaction between my mm. character and hers that I think is interesting, but reveals more than perhaps. Unfortunately, the audience will see of her in the first three or four episodes, um, which is fine. And I'm sure it'll come back to bite her in the ass later. But um, yeah, she's she's interesting. And I I think it will be interesting to see how much, if any, information gets brought out by conversation with both Ross and Joe's characters and how much is driven by stuff that happens to her, Mm. which Ben has quite a lot of power over yes um which is both great and potentially awful for me yeah <laughs> um so okay let's go from from your your closed book to joe's open mm. book, so <laughs> book. <laughs> i love her so much oh i'm so glad yeah i play um a character called meredith meadowlark who is a halfling bard um and she's basically oh she just loves everybody and loves life and is very enthusiastic about what she does and is very enthusiastic about people and enjoys getting to know them. Yes. Yeah. 
but she has some some very strong convictions as well. Yes, yes, she really does. So she, um, not to give, well, I'm just going to give it away because she's an open book, and that's just how she would roll. Um, <laughs> she, <laughs> yeah, uh, she studies, um, or she's in in Firamastus University because she's she's keen to investigate the underrepresentation of um, tiny folk in the history of science and artificing um, in this particular world. So, um, yeah, she's very kind of social justice-minded, um, bit of a, a social justice warrior. <laughs> um, social justice bard. Which I love. Yeah, social justice bard, um, which seems appropriate. So, yeah, she's pretty cool. She's um, first time in a really big city as well. She isn't also somebody who just, like, goes, like, to use the phrase social justice warrior has a lot of connotations. and It does, doesn't it? And that's not what I think of when I think of your character. No, okay. Well, that's good. But she's definitely somebody who is passionate, like like Hermione, passionate about um, house elves. Yeah. Yes, basically. You care about. Yeah. And it it isn't what your character is all about, but when it comes up, you have things that you say. Oh, I have very strong opinions. Yes. Mm. So, yeah. But she um, she is the sort of character that kind of knows everybody and gets along with everybody. But she's also really naive as well because she does Oh, so naive. Yeah, absolutely. Because she comes from a very small place and is this is her first time in a big city. So doesn't know very much about what's going on, but is keen to learn. You're an excellent character. Uh, for somebody who is new to the world and new Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. Mm. Thing. Let me expose it for you. Exactly. And also me as a player, very handy for those of you who may never have played because there are going to be points where I don't understand what's going on. And so me as Joe will be asking questions that you may have as well. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so let's go to Ross now. Your character is a human, which some people would consider mm. to be boring. Yes. Um, although, uh, you know, I, I think the thing is, is that um, in, in D&D, your character's race really shouldn't matter. You know, like uh, a good campaign will have nuance and the orcs could be as interesting uh, a culture as the elves if, if you do it right. And um, But also, um, I think my character is, uh, my character's name is Harold Wentworth, um, <laughs> who is the son of Archibald Wentworth III. Um, and, and what I wanted to do with my character was, um, one, my character grew up in the city that we're mostly going to be playing around in. Um, and that kind of gives us a bit of a grounding for the group. You know, I, I feel like yeah. for the audience's sake, someone in the group needs to be the person who it makes sense to be able to sort of do a law dump, you know, like it, hmm. one of us needs to be able to sort of, it needs to make sense in world why, why one of us might know where we're going, but. Oh, you know, you have a, a bar yeah. to go and find somebody. Oh, well, Harold yeah. knows where that bar would be. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Let's exactly. Yeah, it's really helpful. But also, I, I wanted to explore something a little different with my character. So um, my my character's background is obviously somewhere noble. Um, you know, his, his, his family is kind of high up and has connections in the city. But my character is actually a druid. And I, I really wanted to explore a kind of uh, a different take on druids instead of being this sort of stereotypical hippie forest type druid i i want i really wanted to explore being a druid from a different angle and also you know um you are still the like black sheep of the family yeah so he, yeah. he so my as character a druid, is you could yeah. wild shape into a black sheep absolutely hey. 
Oh, Ben. Wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. I, I love hate it. <laughs> yeah. But um, I think as well, luckily, just as we were creating our characters, a new Unearthed Arcana came out, which for those who don't play Dungeons and Dragons is like a test material and uh, allowed me to explore something that was kind of academic whilst also being druidy and um I, I think with my character what I want to do is sort of explore this idea of like you know out, out of everyone um you know my character has a lot of status and privilege already and maybe needs to learn what that means in a world where a lot of people aren't well off because obviously it's a fantasy world and so um, hopefully my character can explore those kinds of themes as well as what it's like you know in academia and also yeah, not being the sort of, you know, being the youngest and sort of weirdest one in the family and and how that can sort of affect uh, the character. And I think what I like about all of our characters is that we've, we've given ourselves a lot of room to grow. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that will come across in the show as time goes on. Um, and that, you know, the audience has a journey to go with, not just in terms of narrative, but in terms of the characters that we created and um, yeah. And how we all have we all have very different perspectives on the world, and that um, yeah. hopefully that that not only comes across with some good storytelling, but also gives a sense of conflict in the show as well. You know, um, as things are, we 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 don't start off as lifelong friends or anything. Um, I'm not giving too much away to say that we basically meet for the first time uh, in episode one, and so the audience gets to grow in the same way that. Our characters does with us you know like we we have the same journey as both characters and audience which I, I think should be quite engaging hopefully yeah I think I think the idea that we don't we as characters don't know each other we don't have this big long history it makes it much easier for us to tell this story rather than I mean a lot of D&D campaigns will start assuming that everyone knows each other for some reason or another or they're just a bunch they- of adventurers meeting in a tavern yeah, and I think this this gives us uh, we have a real point of commonality because of what we are all there to do, um, although uh, different reasons specifically for being there. Um, and it's interesting to see how different pe- different characters' wants and needs are dealt with by other characters. And I'm trying really hard here not to spoil the the, the through track for the first three episodes as to why something happens, but. Mm. Um, I think it is it is one of those things where it's interesting how how much you can see of the three players in our characters, but also how different they are from us as people as well. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's that's probably. I think if if that doesn't sell it, we'll be back <laughs> to, to regular non peer review episodes later on. But I definitely mm. recommend you check it out. Um, Dungeons and Doctorates. It's on Twitter, Facebook, uh, and. And Instagram. It's mm. on Instagram. And, Instagram. Yes. <laughs> um, and all <laughs> it should be on all podcasting uh, apps. Whatever you're using, it should be there, assuming iTunes is playing nice. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed iTunes plays nice. Yeah. Um, so the episodes will be out Thursday, the 20th of August. And then there's going to be a big dump on that day. So there's going to be... Uh, a couple episodes coming out all at once, so you can binge those straight away. And then moving forward, there'll be one episode every fortnight uh, coming out on the same Thursday. I'm actually really looking forward to our next recording session for the yeah for Dean mm. Doctorate. I think it's going to be yeah. 
I think it's, it's fun. Like for us, it's fun to make. And I hope it's yeah. as fun for people to listen to as it is for us to sit in rooms technically by ourselves because we're so far spread from each other yeah. um, <laughs> and create yeah. this when, world. Um, yeah, when when yeah. Uh, time zones start shifting for daylight savings, we're going to be in. Oh, yeah. Four different. No. Four. Two three. different. Three. 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 Ben and I will be in the same time zone. Yeah, mm, yes. time zones. Yeah. Um, so I guess for, the, for those uh, who have missed that, uh, I I am in, I'm on one side of the country uh, to everyone else, and they are all we're all well in different out states on the east coast. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay, so uh, let's go back around. Um, you can find me at Ben Cannon on Twitter. Uh, I post about science things, Dungeons and Dragons things, all kinds of pop culture and and whatever else. Um, Kate, where can people find you on social media? Uh, most things, especially things sort of performing and D and D related, I am on at O'Sullivan Kate um, on Instagram and Twitter. If you want specifically science things, I'm at SciComKate. Kate, and I've also got a Facebook page, which apparently is at O'Sullivan Kate Presenter for some reason. I thought it wasn't, but here we go. There it is. Um, but yeah, I'm, and you know, if you have questions and interesting things you want to say, please like tweet at or DM because. Yeah. If I'm always up chats about about the game. Uh, there are some things we won't reveal, some things we will. Yes. But if you have a question like, "Hey, what kind of cake does Potentia like?" You, uh, that. <laughs> you could. Kate is now going to go away and think about that because she hadn't thought about. It. But I also, um, for those who, I mean, Ben is aware of this, and I don't think I do not think the other two are. Um, I have recently started DMing as well, and so I'm both a beginner player and a beginner DM mostly because a bunch of my friends wanted to play and I was willing to put my hand up. So if you have questions about that stuff, feel free to like ask. Cause I think that's a thing that people get scared of. Um, yeah. yeah. Shouldn't. Um, so Ross, where can people find you on social media? You can hit me up uh, at Ross Bulch on Twitter and, and Facebook as well. Uh, and also uh, at Manadorks TV, I believe I always have to check that one <laughs> for some reason. Uh, Yes, at Manadorks TV, also on Twitter. And that's where I talk a lot more about sort of nerdy stuff like Dungeons and Dragons, Magic the Gathering. Um, that may be relevant <laughs> later. It's so much fun. So much fun. And um, yeah, uh, I, I like to talk about science and, and nerdy stuff uh, as well. Um, and yeah, I, I'm all, all, always happy to answer questions as well. Um, I'm super engaged with sort of D and D and the sort of actual play universe as well. So um, for me, this is like a dream come true to be able to do this. And if that kind of enthusiasm and excitement doesn't sort of show you how much we really care about this project and why you should check it out, I don't know what is. You know, like when everyone yeah. involved is so keen and so excited mm -hmm. to be part of it, you can guarantee that it's going to grab. It's going to probably grab your attention as well. And I, I really think you should check it out. Even if you've never expressed interest in D&D, &D, in people playing D&D, &D, it's just, it's it's such a great experience to to to, to, to listen yeah. to people do this, you know, and, um, you know, the, 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 the success and the absolute explosion of actual plays online should tell you how yeah. engaging and, and entertaining they are. People have always liked, um, you know, those, those radio dramas, people. Yeah. Exactly. Around. People love a radio play and an audiobook. And we yeah. aren't we aren't working on scripts. We're improving most of this. I mean, I've got all some of this. <laughs> I have I have some. Characters have scripted things. 
But then you guys ask me questions, and I have to make things up. But that's how. <laughs> yep. So, so Joe, where can people find you on social media? All right, so you can find me on social media um, at Joe Matrix. J-O-H-M-A-T-R-I-X because I have a random H in my name. Um, and on those uh, platforms, so Twitter um, and Instagram, you can also find links to my website, um, joannahouse.com. Um, that has like a whole bunch of sciencey things. Um, yeah, so if you want to investigate what I've been doing online, lots of YouTube stuff, um, yeah, investigate that. Great. And I suppose we should say that you can find the non-peer-reviewed podcast mm-hmm. at- peer reviewed on twitter and facebook uh if you aren't already you should definitely like and subscribe to the podcast and and the social media things like and retweet and share so that your friends know because word of mouth is how this spreads dungeons and doctorates d n doctorates on twitter and facebook and instagram make sure you've you're following the social media because that's where you'll see the big episode announcements coming out. Uh, yeah. And if you're following any of us, we'll be sharing it too. Heck yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. So much. <laughs> <laughs> be prepared, friends. Be prepared. <laughs> so as always, uh, this is the non-peer-reviewed podcast. I'm a non-peer-reviewed person. Do not quote me professionally. Thank you so much. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.